0: special Camp JS note up and uh, note up down under yeah uh, bad joke um this is a noteup up featuring Tim oxley rod bag and a few others organizers of camp.js and a special first ever podcast appearance of none other than tj holloway chuck really excited about uh, sharing this one with you so enjoy okay welcome to
1: note up live at camp.js So it's the last night of Camp JS, Um, we've been here for three days already and um, we have uh, a, a, a lineup of speakers tonight who have been doing things, uh, doing workshops for us all weekend. Um, and we have nearly 140 people, I think, who have attended, who are listening live. So I'm Rod Vag. Um, this is Note Up And I just want to introduce you to who we've got here. Now, first of all, we have Anthony Short. Do you want to tell us about yourself and what you've done here at uh, at Camp.js and what your favorite part of Camp.js has been. Okay.
2: Uh, yeah, I'm Anthony. Um, I work at Segment.io. I'm a front-end guy there. Um, I do a lot of work with Component, um, the package manager. Um, Camp.js, um, I've just really been hacking on like new libraries and uh, fixing stuff that I don't like about Component. Um, <laughs> that's sort of been my the favorite bit, hacking. Hacking. I think,
1: hands up if hacking's been your favorite bit. Yep, good old hackers. Hackers at a hacker camp. Okay, Dominic Denicola. Okay, I'll turn it up in a second. Uh, Dominic Denicola, do you want to introduce yourself? um, What you've been doing here for us at CampJS and what your favorite part of CampJS has been?
3: Yep, I'm Dominic. Um, I work on a lot of things, among them NPM, the client. I, at Camp.js, I've been running a workshop on ES6 imaginatively called Count to Six, which you can install from NPM. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, and what I've been doing in between running the workshop is fixing the workshop to do things like give you an error when you make a syntax error. Uh, so that was, that was a big addition in version 0.4.2. Uh,
1: yeah, uh, that's it for me. Excellent. Uh, Jonathan Nong. Jonathan
4: uh, I'm John um, here at Camp Jess. I've been uh, doing talks with uh, what Koa and my new package manager, Normalize. Um,
1: my favorite part of Camp JS is the weather. Uh, the, the illustrious Tim Oxley, who has brought us Camp JS. Everyone, give him a round of applause. Woo! So Tim,
5: what have you been doing at Camp.js and what's your favourite part? I've done a lot of standing around and directing people into corners and um, yeah, I've just been making sure that things have been running smoothly I guess. Uh, I think things have run okay. My favourite part of Camp.js was probably this, this is my favourite part so far. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh,
1: Damon Ullman is here. Uh, Damon, what have you been doing with us, and what's your favourite part?
6: Yeah, look, uh, so definitely WebRTC uh, workshop was was what we were doing here, um, and with, with Ben Lupton doing some web component stuff in there as well, which is a lot of fun. Um, favourite part has been the hacking. I would have liked it to go the way I hoped, but that's
1: the way hacking goes, so it was a lot of fun anyway. So... I'm going to hand over now to Damon, uh, who's going to be our uh, actual MC, who's going to guide us through the topics. And he's going to introduce the topic and, and get us started. So over to you, Damon. Thanks, Rod. All right. So the topic for this evening is we, we've
6: basically got a fair few people um, here that that know about package management and and that kind of thing. And and I think we've also heard quite a few talks, either either where the talks been, either directly related to package management or we've heard about a story about package management come up in there somewhere. So I think it, it's an ideal time to sort of, you know, maybe open Pandora's box on it a little bit and just just to see what, what basically jumps out. And so I'm really looking forward to having this conversation. Um, I think just before we do kick off, obviously we've got to, you know, thank the sponsors for, for NodeUp.
0: Okay, so let's take our first break and have a shout-out for our, our first sponsor, Joint. Joint is a great place to build and host your production Node.js applications since their entire cloud infrastructure is built on lightweight container virtualization called Zones and Node.js. Joint is a high-performance cloud infrastructure and big data analytics company, delivering Node.js, the best runtime for today's real-time applications. As the corporate steward and sponsor of Node.js, Joint also offers exclusive debugging and performance analysis tools to support Node.js applications. Go to joint.com and get quick access to to many of Joint's Node.js offerings. You can check out their public cloud, which is optimized for running Node.js, they have a great getting started guide at uh, joint.com/developers/getting-started-nodejs. Slash slash There's dashes between those words. They have some great node support services, including Node Core Support, which enables you to use their advanced debugging tools on uh, both Solaris systems, so SmartOS especially, but also Solaris and OmniOS. And you can, you can now use it with Linux by capturing a core and delivering it to, to Joint for post-production analysis. Really cool. Joint Cloud Node Support gives you the QA technical support guidance that you need. And check out their development and production best practices uh, documentation, joint.com slash developer slash node. And especially want to highlight the work that Dave Chico has been doing around error handling. Check that out. It's really Some fantastic work and and clarifies a lot of the confusion that uh, many many people have in running Node and and running Node effectively and handling errors effectively. So Joint is on Twitter. Uh, Follow Joint uh, on Twitter. And there you can uh, find the latest Node.js news and the latest location for the Node road coming to a city near you. So let's, let's kick in with
6: sort of opening this panel up. And I think what I'd like to, to basically open up first is, is to see, you know, given these people working in the package management space for a while, like putting aside for the moment every, you know, your kind of favourite product or the product you're working on, just to think about... What, it is that, what is it that package management should be? Like, if you would have had to try and say, well, a package manager should do this. So, you know, forget your product name. Just say a package manager should give you this. Um, and and as, as a developer. And, and the good thing, too, is at the end, we're going to open up for questions. So have a listen to what these guys say. And then, you know, if you do want to ask something about what they've said, you keep that um, stored up for later. So over to, over to the panel, who wants to open it up?
2: Okay, I guess I'll start. Uh, so I think the, an ideal package manager would handle uh, every type of asset that you need. Uh, for In terms of front end, you need uh, images, you need CSS, you need JavaScript, you need everything. And a package manager should handle all of that for you as, as part of the, like, the whole process.
3: So basically one-stop one shop there from Anthony yep. sort of thing. Yep. I think uh, uh, when you talk about a package manager you have to understand what a package is and that's not, it's a kind of subtle concept. Uh, I mean, I'm mean, i not sure I have a good definition myself, but the idea that you have these reusable units of code that you can download and install and then now have in your project and have access to, and, and kind of bridging the gap between packages and modules, right? Modules, you know, you have many modules in your application and they all use each other, but then you may have some that come from external packages. Getting those onto your computer and, you know, having them shareable and uh, things that other people can use and publish to, I think that that's when you talk about package management. It's it's all about the packages. So
4: um, I agree with uh, Anthony that you know a package manager should handle any type of asset. But then I've realized you know packages are abstractions. You know modules are abstractions, abstractions, uh, and it's really unnecessary. Like all you really need is to use a file, and the file has its own dependencies. Um, so if you use a file, it, the package manager should automatically grab all those specific files dependencies. It doesn't have to grab the entire package. Um, so for me, like an ideal package manager would not even handle packages. It'll handle files. Um, the way I think about it is versions are just
3: magical, ver- magical folders. They're
4: not. They're not. They're not packages at all.
3: So what's the difference between a magical folder and a and a package? Well, the, I mean, the main difference for me is I don't. I don't want to. I don't need to download the whole package.
4: That's that's really it, and I don't want to think about, you know, because a lot of packages have, you know, like bow. Oh, I know. So I guess so it's it's yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's
7: okay. just say
4: repos have multiple versions of the same code in the repository, you know, and that's not really a package. That's just like. Multiple files, well, well, John, and you don't know, really want to use all of them. I think I've got a question for you then. Okay. So, so, the concept of a manifest in terms of packages, is that something that should exist or shouldn't exist? Should not. Okay. Because if once you use a file, like, you could grab the manifest just by inspecting its dependencies. You know. What about metadata
5: like license or. That just be not the file. What uh, dependencies, what about how do you specify dependencies? Uh, he's got an answer for that. But isn't that like a metadata file, that you, the same thing you're trying to remove? Specifications? Well, imports. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure what you mean. I agree with Jonathan
3: that the, that dependencies can be expressed in the code themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah the question is then, is any metadata useful? Is the, the list of authors or you know, the, the list of explicit dependencies, the dev dependencies, the, uh, the readme, the license? I don't know. None of that sounds terribly useful now that I say it. But
2: does anyone actually use any of that for anything?
3: Well, like I use extra for licenses you know if you don't add that, people can complain that's, I yeah. for sure I add that I mean licenses are super important. Yeah. The, the new uh, Nojitsu like search npm.org has a really cool view where you can go into any package and see all of the license of it and any of its dependencies and and that's actually pretty useful from a legal perspective if you're trying to get it into a company that, that cares about that type of thing. So the cool thing I liked is, and I mean, I,
6: I, I think we should point out too that that while we're talking about the future of package managers, I know there's a lot of people, we have to point out that that there's a lot of people envious of us. Like we're in, we're in a state where we've actually got some pretty kick-ass package management, whatever the hell that is. Um, and, you know, there's lots of people in other languages that just don't have it quite as good as we do. So, you know, sometimes we're being a bit fussy, but I think it's really good that we always do look forward. Um, I don't want to get away from that the concept of versions because I think, you know, we, we kind of glossed over it, but I, I sort of... Bit with Dominic, I can see how, you know, dependencies can be interpreted from code, but I would love to talk about if there is any ideas about how versions can be, you know, inferred as opposed to explicitly defined. Tim, have you got anything there? Have a
5: go. So, I mean, one of the things which, I mean, I love the most about NPM is that it gives you... You don't need to care about... Uh, an object, uh, a package's dependencies, and you know it kind of just manages all that for you, um, most of the time. Versions, I don't know. I mean, what, what, what? Most people don't follow Semver correctly, and this is a real problem. I, I sort of feel like um, Semver. You know, we try to. There's a machine that's controlling the Semver, but there's a human that's kind of in charge of it. Yeah. And we let NPM decide what gets installed um, you know, based on you know, the, packet, the package author's uh, decision on whether the thing broke its compatibility or not. Everybody following? Yeah. So I sort of feel like there's no real way to like, safely do Semver unless a machine is actually in charge of that. Um, I don't know. I, I, Semver is great, but it's kind of just like a guide um, and at the moment we're using um, you know computers to sort of you know treat it as if it was like some sort of robotic specification, but it's kind of a little bit more fallible but I think it works pretty well in practice.
3: I think you know people express dependencies that are loose you know they they vary in the patch or in the in the minor version, and things don't break usually I mean if they do, a bug gets filed, and the next patch release doesn't break I, I mean I agree it's not as formal as you would like but it works out pretty well. I think it's also interesting. You touched on a point, like you know, at the core of this all is the idea of versions and semver, and and what's the point of that, right? Like, what's a if a package manager just everything was fixed versions. There was no ability to say I depend on version 2.x. What would be the downside of that? Well, in Node, there wouldn't be that much. You'd load a lot more code into memory than you need, and your startup time would be longer. But you'd still get, you know, more or less, it'd be fine. Uh, You know, on the browser, that's where things get really complicated. You don't want you know, 30 versions of jQuery, you know, depending on the patch release. And, and everybody's like, oh, the answer is don't use jQuery, use tiny little packages. And I think that's bullshit, because jQuery is a great API, and people like to use it. And if you tell them not to, then you're just being an asshole. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I see Anthony uh, reaching for his mic, and so I know he spends a lot of time in front end, so I think
6: kicking over to you, mate. What do yeah, you so
2: versioning becomes really, really tricky in the browser when it comes to anything, because we're, we're talking about components and packages here in relation to, like, NPM and on the back end a lot. But in the browser, uh, versioning just completely falls apart when you, you have to version CSS. Yeah. You can never have two versions of a package that have CSS in them that are different, because they can clash, they'll just override each other. There's no way to do that at all.
6: I, I th- I think you're bang on with the CSS. I think CSS is throwing a cat amongst pigeons in in terms of our package management.
3: So I don't think CSS belongs in published reusable components at all. I think that every app has its own specific styles, and not just I'm not just talking about you know fonts and colors. I'm talking about this gets aligned there, and tabs get styled this way. I think every app needs individual CSS for all of its individual pieces and what you can do is if you publish a reusable front end component you can put you know, some sample styles or, or some general styles that you think people might use but it should be up to other people whether they pull that particular style into their build process for their final CSS. It shouldn't be some kind of assumption that because CSS comes with a package, that's the Version that will get into your final site. It's just a sample.
5: But isn't the the problem with CSS though? Is that it's applied globally, so it's kind of like this. Uh, well, that's
3: exactly what I'm saying. You shouldn't do. You shouldn't say just because I have this package installed from the internet, then it's going to get applied into my final CSS globally, right? Like it, it can be sitting there on the disk, you know, in the node modules folder or in the Bower components
5: folder or whatever. But it shouldn't be part of your build process automatically. So there's like solutions for that. So you know you can always prefix everything with you know your component's name, and there's new uh, specifications which allow you to scope your CSS. So uh, but but even also... even then, like it shouldn't just, it just shouldn 't be there, no matter how
3: isolated it is, you still want to in your app, you want complete control over how things look and how things are laid out it shouldn 't just come with the reusable component that all of a sudden now you have to make your tabs you know have border radius five or or you know be aligned left instead of right or so, so be aligned to the top instead of to the bottom I, I guess one thing I, I will sort of like and it is a bit of a diversion,
6: for, but I, I had it in my head when we were, when I was sort of formulating this sort of discussion, and I think we 've got some. There's some words that have a lot of crossover between them. And, and Dominic, you sort of touched on it in, in your opening statement a bit. And, and we seem to have, like, you know, we've got we've got the word component, which we associate some meaning. Um, we've got the word module, which I think we associate some other meaning. We've got the word package. And there's probably some others in there too. But these, these three words, I think I can certainly draw a picture in my mind as to what I think those mean. Um, and I do feel like maybe component has an element of reusability. And I, I guess I just wonder what other people feel about... You know, add, add a sort of... A, I can drop this in and it's going to have some behaviour.
5: Can I do, like, a public service announcement here? It- I recently discovered that modules and packages are quite different. When you use npm install, you're actually installing packages, you're not installing modules. I've been making this mistake forever, Uh, so a package is a thing which comes with a package JSON and a module is just like a file and that was like, I don't know, I've been saying the wrong words and I just want everybody to realize, don't use the wrong words.
6: So there's, there's no confusion apart from what, you know, Tim's clarif- clarified that. But I, 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 for me, component, what, what does that mean to you, Anthony? Who's working in, you know...
2: Well, yeah, component, the whole idea behind component was that it, it does include more than just, like, one type of file. So um, I, I always see, like, a package as being... Well, in terms of, like, NPM, you always just see it as being just JavaScript, uh, whereas I think a component is more than that. It's, I, like... I disagree. OK. <laughs> but yeah, I see a component as being something that's a, almost like a visual element on, on the page that's like a chunk of functionality that could be like a chat widget or something that includes all the functionality to get that working. Um, it's the same sort of direction where web, web components are coming from.
6: Yeah, and, and I think that's what I was just thinking then. Like, we're getting a lot of reinforcement from, from loud voices on the web, such as Google, that that, that assessment of component is right or, or,
4: or what the world believes components to be. Yeah. So when I was working with component, like the biggest um, benefit for me, it wasn't using remote p- components, but, but actually splitting your own app into multiple components. And you know, you could have like a, a sidebar component, and you could have like an aside component. But these all have their own JavaScript, their own CSS. You know, so generally, like if I'm using remote mod components, they would only be JS. But when I'm my constructor internally, um, you know, my components, they'll have CSS, they'll have images and everything. And you know, like all these. These package managers think of packages as remote packages, and component was different because you know it, it thought of uh, internal packages as components as well
3: but, but I mean I, I just want to clarify I use NPM for you know client side code. I, I have packages that would have HTML and CSS if, if I need it or, or JavaScript in them, and you know they all go in my node modules folder, and some of them are from the internet, some of them are from local files that I've you know checked in the repository some of them are from git URLs for internal to our company uh, what's the difference between that and a component am I just using a components but there are packages for me and they're you know Bower components for you or component components for you or
2: I see the big difference being that uh, with NPM um, there's no sort of standard format for these like browser-side assets like uh, with things like browserify you need like a plug-in so there's no sort of like guarantee that the things that you have that you pull down these packages these components whatever you're going to call them, um, that they will work in a certain standardized way, Um, which is one great thing about Component, that it handles your CSS and your images and knows how to handle all of those things. Um, And I just know that it will handle the templates in a certain way, Uh, whereas things like uh, Browserify... I need to have some transform installed or some package might decide it wants to use CoffeeScript. So you're saying the component is
3: has has a package manager component, but it also has some kind of like build system bundled into it that will consume packages that are conforming to a certain format and do certain things to them. Is that Am I getting it?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, component, like, I I guess this falls into what I think, at least on the browser side of things, an ideal package manager would do. Um, It needs needs that build side of things. Um, Otherwise, there's just no way to get it from being in this folder, being a chunk of files, to actually working in the browser. And having that standardized format, this standard way that it transforms that and makes it workable in a browser, um, that means that we can, as a community, share things around. But who defines that standard?
3: Yeah. This feels like a library versus framework thing. It seems like, you know, NPM's just saying, ah, oh, we'll give you the tools, do whatever you want. Whereas, you know, a framework type thing, like components saying, you have to follow our format from the ground up when you're building your app and when you're sharing things. Well, if you guess, don't, then it's not going to work.
6: I, I guess the question, so like, once again, you know, thinking about our ideal solution. It, and it sounds to me like maybe some of the parts, are, we've got the parts maybe. we, You know, it sounds like we've got all the tools we need to build the house. Um, for, our, for our ideal package manager, but it probably does mean maybe some things working together to, to have that happen.
0: Okay, so let's take our second break and shout out to CodeShip. CodeShip is continuous deployment made simple. Uh, set up continuous integration in just a few steps and automatically deploy when all your tests have passed. Great support for lots of languages and test frameworks at Codeship, the integration with uh, GitHub and Bitbucket. You can deploy to cloud services like Heroku, AWS, Nojitsu, Google App Engine, or even your own servers. It's super simple to set up uh, and deploy uh, to to Modulus. It, It literally takes just a few clicks. So start out with a free plan and set up will only take you about three minutes. Go to Codeship.io slash NodeUp to learn more. When you sign up, be sure to use the discount code NodeUp and you'll get 20% off any of their plans for three months. Check out the blog at blog.codeship.io and be sure to follow Codeship on Twitter uh, at at Codeship. Thank you, Codeship.
4: So I I see the big problem here is that we can't, agree on an abstraction, you know we agree we think of components as one thing packages another thing it's really why I wanted to ditch all these abstractions you know and just think of them as files you're using one module it has these dependencies you use those dependencies I'll just do a shout out to the audience and obviously it's not
6: going to work very well on the podcast but hands up if you understand what a file is what? okay yeah so, so that, and then that's I think that's interesting the fact that people were very lots
3: of people raised their hands yeah
6: that's right <laughs> we, we get what files are so that's I mean that's an interesting oh. take
4: wait what yeah, they agreed with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought there's a different definition or something. I don't know. No, <laughs> no, no. It was fair. fantastic.
0: <laughs> I no. think...
2: Oh, sorry. You, you oh, go. No, go okay, I think one big thing, I think we've touched on a couple of times here that's really, really important behind any package manager is community. Um, without having that a package manager is like next to useless yeah Um, and that's one great thing about the component community is that everybody writes um, amazingly like a very high quality code um, and everybody kind of works together under the standard format to create something that works but, but I think
3: the problem with that is it doesn't scale right if you if you know in your group of however many people you know, write components everybody's a great programmer you've got a great little ecosystem for those small number of people but if you want something that can scale to you know, tons of reusable things used by businesses and you know people who work nine to five and people who work on their weekends and people who are whiz programmers. Then you need something with a little fewer or with fewer restrictions. Uh, something that you know doesn't force you to build your app from the ground up using this tool, but you can retrofit in later. Something that you can introduce gradually and, and you know say, oh well, I'm going to use one reusable npm package, but the rest of our app is going to have this big old utils folder. That type of thing.
5: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you bring up the community thing, Anthony, because that was like... I mean, I was using Component, uh, you know, for a long time for a lot of apps, and I I enjoy it. It's a great system, but it was because of the community that I ended up having to move. Not that there was any problem with the community. The community's very great. Um, But it's just that the the NPM community is far larger, and for me, I sort of feel like... uh, sorry tj but you know it, it it'd be nice if component and npm could all just like work together because there's so much good stuff on npm and by using component you have to buy into the you buy into a yet another silo the whole point of component i am talking at you tj sorry <laughs> but the whole point was to you know destroy the silos, but we created yet another one. Uh, yeah the XKCD one with the you know now we have eleven competing standards, yeah. Can we get
1: TJ down to respond? Do you wanna do you wanna debate? <laughs> uh
3: <come on. laughs> <To> pressure <laughs> uh,
7: yeah, take my mic. Well, uh, truthfully, I think there's a lot of pros and cons with, like, NPM and kind of, like, the GitHub-style approach, and obviously with NPM getting uh, orgs soon, that'll be, (laughs) like, 50% of what I really didn't like about NPM, so, uh, I don't know, I don't think there's, like, a perfect solution, like, there's always going to be, like, every pro that NPM has is, like, a con with the alternative and vice versa, so... I don't know like it's I think there's always going to be things to dislike about I mean any, to be clear
3: npm solution. is is not perfect, like I have a list yeah. of bugs that have been bugging me for probably probably years by this point, you know, a list of features that I would love to get added uh, and yeah I, I think it's I think it's pretty cool and I think it solves a lot of the core problems, but it's if you ever looked at the code, man, then then you just <laughs> <do>. <laughs> oh.
6: I think that's really good too, and I, I think you know the fact that, and I, once again, I, I would point out the fact that we have, there's the fact that people can get together in in kind of different projects and actually go, well, we do this well, and you do that well, and we do this bad, and you do that bad, and, and we actually actually have this conversation
7: yeah. is a pretty amazing thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, like like you said, I, I think it's pretty important to. Try like even failing like I've learned a lot is like what really works like what works about this other technique and what doesn't work like what works great for npm and I, I think yeah it's important to try something else even if it maybe doesn't work because at least you're not getting stuck in like some stagnating things. So.
3: And in particular, I think uh, Jonathan's normalized stuff is really interesting. I, I don't know if if I'd use it. Um, yet, but I really want to try to, and it's intriguing. It's, it's the idea that you can get rid of the whole package manager and just use URLs, but but with this extra like magic segments of the URL that are magic folders, as you put it earlier. Like that's that's the extra piece. I don't know if that's all you really need for a package manager. Maybe
5: maybe that's good enough. Um, Jonathan, maybe you should just introduce what normalize is for those who um, were in busy in other great sessions at Camp JS or hacking or hacking. I or see. listening to the podcast
4: yeah so basically um, you know with ES6 modules coming you basically able to use dependencies in JavaScript like we do in CSS where it'll basically be an HTTP request um, but the idea is you basically proxy everything from GitHub and NPM through through a proxy and then you know you know how like Git you could you know, and you can specify versions as Semver in the URL um, and that's magic yeah that's that's the magic the magical folders right um, and what it does is it speedy pushes all the dependencies By it goes down every file and checks its dependencies and it speedy pushes everything so the goal is you don't have need any build process and you need, you don't need to concatenate
3: anything because there will be no lag time between dependencies so this does this do you think this extends to uh, node development or do you think this is really only going to work on the front end um I don't know. I don't know what V8 plans to implement for the X, ES6
4: modules because that's what we really need. And if they implement implement that, then. I don't need to do anything because um, all it is is just a server
3: you're just hitting. I mean, so, so the way ES6 modules work is, is there's the syntax, the ESX module syntax, and then there's the loader, which is like a, a piece of JavaScript code that's generally environment-specific. So uh, there is no default loader with the language, oh. and so I doubt there will be one with V8. But node's going to have a loader, and browsers are going to have a loader. the spec for the browser loader is being written right now. Um, Node, I'm sure. Once it lands in V8, a lot of people will be working on this. Um, I certainly will. Uh, so you could imagine one for Node that does accept URLs, and then if your URL is mapped to things with magic version strings, then it could work. We'll see. I don't know. I'm just going to wait. I don't, I don't like. I don't have. Really
4: much faith in this kind of stuff. Well, I, I think I think the good thing is
6: that I think I think across that we've kind of painted a picture of, of what we what we'd like to see in the future, and I think some of that stuff's coming down the line, either through you know people like yourself doing some weird things with magic files and and, and folders, which I think is awesome. I think I think the interesting thing about I think there's there's the other side of package management, and and that's the that's the human side essentially, which I think Tim you you sort of touched on a bit before, um, <laughs> you, you, I think you did, and and more or less it was it was around the fact that you could, if we have the ideal package manager, and let's say, I mean like I actually liked the idea of using Git for for um, dependencies for a long time, and then I just had a day that I was just like no way, and and I I was an npm man from then on in, but. The, the, the thing that set me off was not, was not a failing on any package manager. It was a failing on package authors from, you know, tagging in, in Git um, and things like that. So, you know, what, what is it that we're going to do or, or how are we going to encourage package maintainers and authors to, to behave sensibly in our, in our perfect package management
3: land? Actually, so I I think that's really interesting that you mentioned that. uh, How are you going to encourage people? Because I've been saying a few times, you know, NPM doesn't have restrictions. NPM makes it easy to put whatever you want up there. But what it does do is it every NPM package ends up expressing its dependencies in the same way, and expressing its name in the same way, and expressing its main module in the same way, and that's because it makes those things necessary to get a functioning package, right? You can't install and and depend on things unless you express them in your dependencies hash. So I think if you're talking about encouraging behavior across an ecosystem, you, you really have to look at what you can do to say this is necessary for it to work uh, you know if, if it 's just a conventional folder layout or something and, and you don 't enforce that in some way it 's not going to work as well if it 's just adding tags well you don 't actually need tags to have a functioning git repo, so that 's not going to work as well but if if you need to publish to a server that 's going to work so custom specifications basically what does that mean your,
4: your own like specifications of what you know packages <coughs>
3: Uh, what's the specification? No. Oh, I I'm don't, serious. Like, just... like, are you talking about like I'm... specs written in like standards organizations? Are you talking about like tests? I... Or oh, whatever the specification for this package. Stuff, whatever manifests, Whatever, you know, defines stuff. But, but my point is like nobody would care that npm specified dependencies hash unless the dependencies hash was necessary for them to do their job. So, so it needs to not just be specified but also be useful. Uh, as much as I totally agree with that, like it's kinda nice having like a
7: abstract like blob, it's just like a tarball with some stuff in it. Um like the more I've been writing with Go, the more I realize having a really strong set of conventions at the community level is really beneficial' because you get like so much stuff for free, like even if we had change logs like organized from day one, we'd have so much tooling around that that we could kind of utilize in better ways i think
3: and, and I think if we just had some tool from the beginning that made change logs like like I don't know n p m change log or something and and if it yeah yeah that's just an format. example, but like.
7: There's no, actually uh, yeah. quite a, quite a few things with like these other communities that seem a lot more mature than Node. That uh, they're kind of like
3: there's they're are just simple things that we should be doing, and everybody kind of does them, but do, do you I think it's know. just because people set a good example from the beginning, or do you think it was like inherent in some technical I, part of?
7: Yeah, the... I think that they just set really strong conventions right off the bat. So,
3: well, lucky them. Yeah, <laughs> we, we can't even agree on freaking semicolons. It's like. <laughs>
6: So that's absolutely awesome. Like and it was and I think too that so it does sound to me like there is some Level of system support. And, and I think it's interesting to hear about other languages. And I've, I've been listening to a few people say some crazy things about Go, too. That, and not, not in a bad way. Like, a lot of things that, you know, say what you will about the language, but it is, as a, at a tooling level, it, it gives a lot of support. Um, so maybe it is like a, a bit of a flag to to some of us in the Node community. And and while we are thinking, hey, we're doing this pretty all right, maybe it is a time for us to sort of say, okay, let's, let's pick up our game and, and fix a few things before... Kicking forward,
5: I think one of the things uh, that sort of la- we're lagging behind in is uh, making things easy for people who. Don't want to go through the hell of you know learning the whole ecosystem and learning streams and learning learning everything. Like, there's so much stuff you have to learn to be able to use Node effectively these days. And I sort of feel like there's I mean that's one thing that that the, you know the Rails ecosystem. I, I say I've never written a line of Rails in my life, but you know from what I can tell, uh, they they make the developer experience um, very smooth and allow you to be very effective from you know from day one and I, I feel like there's almost uh, we make things difficult just because we can maybe So that, that's one of my goals in normalize um,
4: you know when you, when you're a new developer, you're a front developer, you have to learn NPM, you got to learn Browserify, you got to learn Gulp, Grunt, Broccoli, you know, LESS, yes, uh, whatever, Whatever, right? But really, like, all this stuff is unnecessary or eventually unnecessary with, uh, you know, with ES6 modules, You basically, you shouldn't need a package manager and you shouldn't need a build system because you'll be able to, you know, define dependencies in the file and the browser should be able to download all of them together. So that's one of my goals because when a developer comes, they don't—they ha- shouldn't have to read you know, all these tools. They should be able to go to MDN, to Mozilla's Developer Network, and just learn exactly like how imports work, and that's all they should need to know about dependencies. I guess the thing I'd like to, to draw us back
6: to as well, because I think, I think so we, we've, we've kind of gone into onboarding, and I think that's a really good, like, onboarding people into the community as, as both consumers, so you know, using modules, but I think it sounds like, TJ, you were pointing to the fact that there's some onboarding in other languages that goes, hey, I'm, I'm going to publish now, and I'm, I'm going to contribute and, and start being active. So, I think maybe some of that, like, so, Jonathan, in your normalised world, like, let's let's take, well, not normalised, because normalize is all about the consumer, but apply that to uh, you as a publisher,
4: what what sort of experience do you think as, as a, a publisher onboarding thing might be? So more normalized magic is actually um, you could pull packages from NPM or GitHub, and my goal is to be able to pull it from you know GitLab, Bitbucket, whatever. So you could author it however you want, um, and it'll be normalized to a specification compliant package. And and I guess the the question about you know because we've we've all we've all agreed that versions are important. Yeah. Um, so it'll handle the versions but and it'll normalize it so you know people might have like weird entry points you know like jQuery would be jQuery.js but the the goal is to normalize like various aspects of front end development so I should be able to just assume that index.js is the entry point so it'll normalize that so that, that sounds pretty good. The, I guess the thing, and I, I will go back to
6: Dominic here too because Dominic, I, I think I will give you some props for when I saw you sort of start contributing on the NPM client, things got prettier. Um, <laughs> and and, and, I, and I, think, I think that definitely like, I, I, it's been interesting for me and I obviously don't, I don't want to share my own opinions, but it's interesting to see the difference between
3: a tool with say that has colours versus a tool that doesn't have colours. Oh my God. So... At my day job I, I we did a lot of Java on the server side and they have this horrible, horrible thing called Maven. And <laughs> and so the things they do to draw emphasis to like the tests, it's like the word tests uppercase several times and then a bunch of underlines and then another underline on top of it, It, like you could just color it like green and and, you know, use terminal underlines or something, Uh, yes the the node ecosystem in general has been very good about having nice pretty command line tools and, and bringing some of that to npm is a really good idea and we've done a little bit of that um I just want to say that you know we have so much we have it so much better than those Java people. I, I, oh. They could probably have colors. I think that they're not compatible with XML or something.
5: <laughs>
6: <laughs> All right, so I think, like at this point, it's, it's probably worth starting to think about questions and and you guys out there who've been listening to a lot of this because I think the guys have really gone through. Um, A lot of stuff and it would be great to sort of have a bit of a think about what it is that that you'd like to hear because i think you've got this this a rare opportunity to ask a question that that you probably wouldn't normally get to get to ask um as you ask it we'll basically i'll repeat it so everyone on the podcast gets to, to benefit from listening
0: to it as well and uh then we'll we'll hear from the panel but before that... All right, let's take a moment and hear from our sponsor, And Yet. And Yet has created the first-of-its-kind JavaScript training adventure called JS for Teams. It's alive! It teaches dev teams to build highly advanced and highly maintainable apps together. It's based on the concept and conventions introduced in Human JavaScript by Henrik Jortig, which uh, Jan Leonard called the best book you can buy right now. On how to get a grip of front-end JavaScript. Henrik will be leading this training event. For those that are familiar with real-time comp, it's kind of a crazy experience with a whole story by Mike Spiegel and original music written by Ben Mitchell. Uh, so, it's alive is the experience, and the And Yet team has spent nine months creating to follow that up, and uh, it's it's only for a limited group of thirty people. the The first adventure starts on July twenty fourth through 25th. Tickets are on sale now at JS4Teams.com Each class has a limited number of seats and you can get a discount on one of the seats right now using the, the code NoteUp. That'll give you $200 off uh, for js for teams Pretty awesome. To find out more about js for teams and upcoming classes or even human JavaScript, uh, head to andyet.com and check out what's going on. And uh, be sure to follow uh, andyet on Twitter. Thank you, andyet, for sponsoring. Being awesome.
6: So I think now it's time to kick into some questions. Uh, who's got a question they'd like to ask? Ben. No, yeah, you just.
0: No, you're
6: not. Okay, Ben, as you ask your question, we'll. we'll uh... right.
8: um, so, as someone who writes JavaScript for both the server side and the client side, NPMs work quite well for being able to share code on both with Browserify. How does component about cater towards sharing code with the
6: server side? So you got to repeat. All right, so I'll I'll just repeat that. So, so we've caught that. Um, but if 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 people do have, I think we've solved a bit of a mic lead issue. So feel free to come up. Um, but Ben's question was specifically around how solutions other than npm cater for server side developers. You know, basically, is is there is there a chance that a client side solution? Current client-side solution could be made to work with something on the server.
2: I'm assuming Bower doesn't at all, but um, Component <laughs> with the latest version of Component, you can actually use um, like the full namespace. Like you can do require Component dash each, and then that that's actually available. So then you can it's compatible with the npm version and the uh, Component version. So when you build from both sides, it'll it'll work on either side. That was thanks to Jonathan actually. And the
4: end goal really is like when ES six modules come out. Um, You should be able to just reference a file. Um, You know? (laughs) Files! Um, You know, and it it shouldn't matter. It should be a usable URL, and it should download automatically.
6: I'm now roving. (laughs) A little. So, other people, other questions?
8: This is uh, Goldwater here. <coughs> um, so, in a lot of uh, in a lot of modules in Node, there are compiled dependencies, and not just uh, like C++ extensions. You may have like CSS files from Less or whatever that get to be need to be compiled. So, do you think there's always going to be like how do you see that fitting into your idea of uh, a module and a and a uh, component. I'm forgetting what words we're using here. Um, Do you think everything can just be pulled from source or do you need this secondary step where you as the author bundle it and store it in its bundled version and that's what the uh, consumer of the module is pulling? Or do you see them just always pulling it from source and then whoever is assembling all these modules has to know how to bundle each of the dependencies and then ship it? One thing I think is interesting that, that you brought up
3: I- is how we say, precompile your CoffeeScript script or your less and put it on there as JS or CSS, but whatever you do, don't precompile your C++, you know put, put it on, or put it on there as C++, and then we'll compile it on our local machines. I never really noticed how incongruous those were before. I don't have
8: an answer. <laughs> So, so I definitely agree. Uh, the problem uh, with, uh, I guess, precompiling the C++ stuff is, uh, you know, it will work on my machine, but then uh, a lot of us develop on a Mac. We deploy to, like, a Linux server. Uh, yeah, so if you precompile compile it, you check it in, you're, you're hosed, right? It's not going to work. So... There is this weird need for, like, at least one intermediary step between what your source is and what you're publishing. And I'm just wondering, like, I haven't really thought of a great way to do this. You kind of just need something like NPM where you're just shoving a tarball up. Uh, It'd be nice if you could just point it at a Git URL and, you know, pull the module down. But there is this weird need that it's not like you either have to compile everything on your server, which is just asking for trouble, or... uh, Yeah, you just need this pre-compilation step. Yeah,
5: it'd be really nice if NPM offered some kind of like a build farm. So, you know, you'd push your thing up and it would pre-compile everything on all the different platforms uh, so that, you know, when you're pulling things down, if you're trying to install LevelDB and you've got LevelDB as a, you know, dependency, you don't have to build it six times and wait 15 minutes on your slow computer. You are in nothing of a world of hurt like I have seen with WebRTC.
6: Like the Node WebRTC module is is actually a really interesting project, getting WebRTC um, bindings in Node. But when you bring libwebRTC and you have to compile that, my goodness. So, so there's no good. Because but you only
5: have to do it once, though.
6: Well, the the problem is when you want to say, hey, if you like, so let's let's look at let's look forward to the Internet of Things powered by Node and using WebRTC data channels. Then we want to distribute those to clients. Then we need either the, they have to compile everything. Or they, they and, and there's no pre-gip and things like that which help, um, but, but it's, still, it's still a bit of a word of hurt. So I think that was a
4: really good question. Uh, I didn't hear a really good answer yet, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, my normalized project does magic. You know, so the proxy the proxy would do all that stuff for you. Does it you. do
8: magic with generators?
4: Yes, <laughs> it, it uses generators exclusively, uh, <laughs> but it does magic um, at the proxy. So if you have source file and you want to grab it off the proxy, it'll automatically transform stuff. But the problem is that I have to implement each of those transforms myself. But the, one of the problems like uh, with all these package managers and browserify and component, you have to use these plugins manually you have to install the package. so you end up with these crazy build systems you know you, that's why we need grunt. this is why we need grunt you know whatever there, there is um, but the, my main goal with normalize you know you normalize development so you don't need any configuration. We are all, all on the same page. We use the same transforms always. Um, and another thing is, I really don't see like a future for a lot of these preprocessors. Like a lot of Coffee strip features are going into ES6, um, and I don't really see the point of CSS processors except for like when people do like extending stuff. But everything else is basically coming into CSS. Um, the only w- one I really think is a uh, hold
3: on. The one thing has a future is just templating because writing HTML is just terrible. So, so, so I, uh, following up on that. You know, Jonathan mentioned Normalize does magic, and and I think that earlier I was discussing with him. That there's kind of like a duality, or actually a three-way thing, between what Normalize does and, and kind of what we currently do. So so let me be more concrete. There's there's basically three things you can do with these transforms. You can either have a proxy do it, which is what Normalize does. You can have it be done on the server side uh, every time it's requested and cached and so on, or you can have the browser do it. And so for that, you would do like a custom module loader would be the solution here, you know, or a custom CSS preprocessor. The CSS imports are not hookable like JS ones are, so you'd be screwed there, but... But for JS, if you wanted to do import coffee file and have the module loader do the transpilation. Um, and then third, you could have a build step, right? You can do this all ahead of time, create a one JS file, one CSS file, and put that in there. So all three of these are really essentially equivalent. It's just where you want to put the work, what you want the code to do. And I think what's more interesting is making sure that you have an open ecosystem so that if I come up with a new idea for a transform, then I can still slot it into my, my process. You know, It's not just a lockdown
5: system of only a few transforms. Is there anything technically preventing you from using the uh, the module loader built into ES6 for loading CSS, for example? I mean, it it
3: it would have to be in JavaScript. Like like, how would you load CSS from a JavaScript file, right? You'd like inject a style tag. Well, how would you load tag? CoffeeScript from a JavaScript. Well that's that's easier because the artifacts of that is like an an export, like like a set of exports, right? What's the artifact for CSS? Is it a big string? If if that's cool, then we can totally do that. Hmm. Um, But then you have to like create a style tag and insert it and meh. Hmm. Right,
6: cool. Well I think if is is there any more questions? Because we've probably got time for one more if you have a burning question. This is once in a lifetime opportunity. Well, maybe twice. Um, but anyway, okay, cool. So let's let's hit the plug section. So basically, you guys have an opportunity now to sort of so sort of either plug something you're doing, something you think's cool, um, just just generally stuff that you think's interesting. Look, it could even be a, an interesting non-coding thing if if you've got
5: something. Let's start with TJ. I've got nothing. <laughs> 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 Alright, so obviously I'd like to plug campjs.com forward slash. <laughs> so, uh, CampJS is, I, I think it's pretty cool. Like, you know, we've brought out 140 people from all around Australia. We've brought out people from uh, just Singapore. They've brought out people from the States. Uh, basically, it's one of the, and Canada, TJ. Uh, yeah, it, I don't know. I really, I feel like, this is one of the the best things I've ever done, uh, not just for me, but I feel like this whole thing is like I don't know. It, it I feel like I'm making a bit of a difference, maybe in the community here. Um, like people actually learn something. Um, I'm talking about my own conference here. I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> but I don't know. I just sort of feel like I feel like we're doing we're doing good work here. So I'd like to also thank everybody for coming along. That was awesome. So. That's my plug, Camp JS. Yeah. yeah.
4: <laughs> Files. Um, I'm gonna plug Normalize. You can check it out at normalize.github.io. Um, it's it's really beta, beta though, and you know like ES6 modules aren't even like full, like finalized, so I'm probably end up changing stuff just because you know it probably won't even work. So I mean, you can just check it out, give me comments, etc.
3: Uh, all right, so I'm gonna plug a book that has nothing to do with programming, really. I just finished rereading it. Uh, it's called The Diamond Age by Neil Stephenson. It's one of his. It's, he's also written Cryptonomicon. If you've ever heard of that, it's really fun. I just I just finished rereading it on the the plane over here, and everybody should read it. It's really really weird, really fun, yeah.
2: Uh, being more of a, a browser, a browser guy, uh, I've been really interested in sort of view bindings and sort of MVVM sort of things lately. Um, specifically, sort of like React and Angular. I kind of like how they're 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 good, but they're very very big. So I've started working on a library called RippleJS, which is the goal of it is to do sort of really cool bindings and one way bindings like React, but building with like really small modules like like in the sort of NPM node sort of style. Um, Yeah, so I just want to plug that, I guess.
6: Cool. Thanks, guys. I think I think the one thing that I think is interesting is possibly, and I'm not I'm not 100% sure whether I super like it or I'm not going to like it in three months, you know, that's one of those things that you could look back and go, that was a really bad thing. I shouldn't like it. But I actually think it looks like it's got a bit of promise and that's um, something that Jitsu's kind of been working on in that big pipe, the the stuff that actually powers NPM or the, you know, browse NPM. And it just looks kind of interesting. It's it's a new take on frameworks. I'm, I don't really ever like a framework, um, but this one... Kind of looks like it does something at least a bit different, so worth a look I think.
1: And I'll pass it back over to Rod now. Um, so we just need to talk about upcoming events. Um, we've got uh, JS Conf happening like this week coming up, so this pro- podcast probably won't even go live. But after that, we've got uh, LXJS in Lisbon um, on in June 27th and 28th. Um, I went to that last year; it was really good, really nice place. Uh, Node Conf. Uh, in the US, uh, Walker Creek Ranch near San Francisco in July, the third and fourth. No EU in Ireland in a castle with all sorts of crazy things. Um, September the seventh to eleventh. There's calls for speakers open for that one. If you want to go and speak in a castle, that that I went to that one too. That was awesome. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so we're just going to close out now. And and my final plug, I think, is for uh, a couple of these guys here. And I know everyone probably already knows Dominic Nicole. He's very active in the community, very out there, um, working on specs and promises. Um, Jonathan Ong, I I don't know if we've heard him on NodeUp before, but uh, everyone probably knows him for his work on Express and uh, Coa. I think you're working on Coa as well Um, in that ecosystem. A lot of work there. I think most people who are um, deploying web applications uh, are using Express and are probably reliant on uh, Jonathan Ong's work and also, of course, TJ, who started in the first place. So, uh, these guys go without saying. But we've also got Anthony Short here, who, uh, Australian developer working with Segment.io, uh, who also employed TJ. Uh, these guys are doing ama- amazing things. Um, you should check out Segment.io. Um, but I especially want to plug Tim Oxley. If uh, if you don't follow him on Twitter or GitHub, you should. He's got some really interesting th- stuff going on. Um, and Damon Olman here, who's, who emceed for us, um, he's one of the, the most prolific uh, NPM package authors in Australia, um, working in WebRTC now, but a brilliant guy. You should follow him on Twitter and GitHub. Um, so that's it for uh, for NodeUp. Um, we'll round it out there and uh, thank these guys for coming on board.
0: All right. Well, thanks for listening to the note up. That was a very special episode. want to give a special shout out to Tim Oxley and Rod Vag for for putting on camp.js. Camp.js will be back in October, October 31st, 2014. Head to camp.js.com. To, to find out more, be sure to leave a review in iTunes for for NoteUp and follow NoteUp on the Twitters. Right now we're we're full on sponsors, but be sure to reach out to to get in the uh, sponsor queue. Really appreciate the continuing support for for NoteUp and all that you help us uh, accomplish through that. Thank you very much. Bye bye.